Hi, this is Megan McHugh, and this is the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website. G'day, welcome aboard the Starship Zero G, science fiction, fantasy and historical radio for episode number 1299. Oh, we're into the the high numbers now. Mm. And that is entitled The Morricone of Silence. (laughs) <laughs> because we're going to be doing a musical tribute to Ennio Morricone, and so we won't be talking too much beyond our usual gabble. Our podcast title is My Name is No Potty. <laughs> I'm Rob Jan. And Megan McHugh. And first off, though, we're going to have a look at a new mm-hmm. Netflix movie. Yes. I often get that wrong. I often say Netflix and it's like Stan or Amazon Prime or or Apple Core or, yeah, God Any knows. of the many. But, no, got it right this time. And this was a little nugget that I didn't realise was coming out on Netflix, so it was a nice little surprise, actually, to realise I had this to watch. So that was good. It's called The Old Guard, as in the old guard dies but it does not surrender, mm-hmm. which is from the Napoleonic Wars. A 2020 film by Gina Prince-Bythewood. That's a great name, isn't it? It is. Written by Greg Rucker, which is based on the comic book by Greg Rucker. So he's had a direct hand in this. And, in fact, he stipulated in his contract that a certain scene from the comic book would have to go into the movie. Okay. Yeah, because he was quite keen to have a good bit of diverse sexuality representation in the book as well as in the film. And it's right there, word for word, too. It's great. All right, so it has people who we have seen before in it, including (laughs) Charlize Theron. Charlize Theron. (laughs) Yes. I like Theron. It sounds more like an Andorian name from Star Trek or something. (laughs) Uh, how many how many genre shows has she been in now? She is brilliant. She's probably really fast because I mean I know she's been around for a while, but she's of late been one of my favorite actors. I mean, if she's not playing Furiosa in Mad Max Fury Road and just totally owning that role, she's sort of kicking butt in Berlin in Atomic Blonde and any number of um Yeah, she's done a lot of genres. She does a lot of rom-coms and stuff as well. So she's got her hand kind of in lots of different projects. She's kind of channeling a little bit of Aeon Flux in this one, I think. Yes. Uh, But, my God, that Atomic Blonde was a great film. It's highly recommend that if you haven't seen it. And what I I saw a few behind, there's some good behind-the-scenes little clips on YouTube, and she did so many of those stunts. And these ones, I'm pretty sure from what I could see, she did them herself. She Tom Cruised it. And mm. she's very impressive. 
actually Tom Cruise. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like mm. that. It also has another old friend in it playing a, a CIA agent, I think. Ex-CIA. But I in the movie, it's a bit fuzzy. He's got some link to CIA, but it's never clear. So, of course, he's played by Chiwetel Ejiofer. Chewy. <laughs> exactly. As he will from here on be, be known. Yeah. Who's been in a lot of genre productions as well. Exactly. Uh, Probably I mostly remember him from when I first saw him in Serenity, the Firefly yeah. movie. All right. Now, I guess we have to give away the main sort of superpower of the characters in this. Yeah. Essentially, this film is by many means a superhero film. Something we like go with that. that? Yeah, Something I think like uh, there's some some elements that aren't quite natural. They're more the supernatural, let's put that that way. Okay, let's tell you that it involves a group of ethical mercenaries who tend to take jobs that uh, have some degree of humanity about them, some, some balancing force to the general mayhem of military uh, and paramilitary forces in the world today, and yesterday too. And these particular mercenaries are led by Charlize as Andy, but her full name is... I think it's Andromache. Originally from Scythia. Now, when I say originally, we mean thousands of years ago, around about the time of ancient Greece, a little bit before, maybe around about the time of the Roman Empire. So she'd be one, she would have been one of the enemies of Rome at the time. So, yeah, you guessed it. She is immortal. Or as near as makes no difference. So she's gathered around her a very small team of other immortals. And before you can say there can be only one, (laughs) they are in trouble because it's the 21st century now. It is increasingly more difficult to maintain a masquerade and try and pretend to be a normal human. And that's important because, well, if you were to let it be known that you had eternal life, you can just bet that everybody would be trying to get that secret from you. Exactly. And that's where we begin our conflict. Mm. So that's really the meat and potatoes of this film, the fact that they are immortal and that people are trying to track them down with varying degrees of success. Now, these people have mad military skills, so they're not easy to lay hands upon. But really, like vampires, their main secret has been that nobody believes in them and they've been able to maintain a covert presence. Why exactly they decided to become mercenaries, I'm not quite sure. I Yeah, I guess it's you've got the freedoms of being able to work work independently, quote unquote, I suppose, and freedom of movement, but um, it's a bit dubious. There's a a Star Trek, a classic Star Trek episode called Requiem for Methuselah, where there's a character called Flint, and he's also an immortal. He runs into the Enterprise crew in the uh, 23rd century and reveals that he's been all sorts of famous characters throughout history, Mm, mm. including many painters and musicians and composers. So I just wonder why you always have to be a soldier. <laughs> it's like, couldn't you just go off and become a doctor or stamp collector? Or <laughs> No, it's always got to have some military aspect. 
to it. And thereby hangs the tale. It's very, very faithful to the original comic books. Uh, there are some interesting wrinkles that they've thrown into there, which I, I did appreciate. But generally, yeah, they are pretty full on in terms of being very being faithful to the continuity and the storyline. It's several actual comic books too, by the way, not just um, one story arc. There's a couple there. So there is potential to do more, and I believe mm. that uh, Charlize has decided that she would love to do a second one. I would for sure watch this movie's sequel, absolutely, and not just because I think they're leaning a bit towards getting you to want to watch a follow-up. Uh, I thought it was a lot of fun. It's pretty gory. It is very so gory. So just a bit of a warning there for squeamish zero-G listeners. I don't know if we actually have that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I think the, the action is very well filmed and very well choreographed, as it really has to be for this. And the characters are quite affecting. Mm, absolutely. Very fleshed oh. out. Yeah, and the motivations are good too. I won't tell you what emotional tone the motivations have because that might give the game away and it would be a pity to do that. It's a very straightforward action-adventure film and I never felt it dragged at any stage. It didn't take an eternity to watch. No, no, very pacey, very pacey. It's very hard to play immortal, I think. Mm. I mean, I've seen several trees that have been quite good at it. (laughs) long-lived sort of characters. Um, I think some of the best ones I've seen have been uh, people like Sean Connery in Highlander who seem to have Mm. the the necessary gravitas to do it. Perhaps less so Christopher Lambert. (laughs) I think Adrian Paul rather rocked it in the Highlander TV series, but he actually had the advantage of of a television series where you have a lot of time to flesh out the characters. Build up and all of that kind of thing, yeah, for sure. I mean, there have been other other shows about immortals. A lot of them tend to fall upon the vampirism sort of aspect, Uh, and some of those have been quite good too. I think that's something that um, remains to be seen. (laughs) Certainly a, a phrase that's apt for vampires, unless they're looking in a mirror. And I think that these people do make a, a, a pretty decent fist of that too, of giving a bit of the ennui and the and the world weariness that would naturally attend that. Plus, unfortunately, it hurts every single time somebody sustains a lethal injury. Absolutely. Like it's, it's, it's They're still bothered by it. So I think it's interesting. I remember when I used to watch Heroes, I'd wonder the girl that healed all the time, like, does she not feel pain or does it still hurt? And it turns out it still hurts, but you just kind of, because you heal, you get over it very quickly. But I think it's a feat to make immortality look not that appealing, which is what happens in this film. And I think that's kind of a cool thing that it comes with a lot of, um, yeah, drama and heaviness and angst and, you know, cool fighting, but. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, you don't even have to be immortal. You just have to be long, have a long life like uh, uh, the Doctor mm-hmm. in, uh, yes. in, those, in that series. Uh, but, you know, I, I really recommend this. It's a, it's a very neat little action film. It's uh, in, yeah, nah, maybe terms in zero-G ratings. I, I give it a, yeah. Same. Me too. I enjoyed it a lot, and I think it ticks all the boxes for what it's trying to do. Hmm. Well, there is a pretty good soundtrack with it too, and it's by Volker Bertelmann and Dustin O'Halloran, 
And this particular track is The Old Guard Attacks, which they tend to do rather a lot of in this film. Hello, this is Paul McGann. I play the eighth incarnation of The Doctor, and you are listening to 3 FM. Yeah, there we are, guarding with the old ones, the very old ones. The Old Guard Attacks, Volker Bertelmann and Dustin O'Halloran, and the film is on Netflix at the moment. We're still getting a trickle of what are new-to-us shows on the streaming channels, which is a small mercy. (laughs) (laughs) It is, and I I do wonder, though, if we're going to hit a point where it's sort of things start to run out, for lack of a better term. But I guess, I mean, we've got years and years of content that, can be caught up on. I think I've been overwhelmed with content, so maybe if things start to trickle down, I think it will be okay still. Mm. Well, the bulk of today's Zero G is given over to a bit of a musical tribute to the late composer Ennio Morricone. And, look, there have been a lot of tributes on the various film shows on radio and on television too. I think we've probably all heard enough of Gabrielle's oboe by now (laughs) (laughs) and the main title track of The Good, The Bad and The Ugly. I mean, they're great tracks, but they are favourite (laughs) go-tos. Yeah. So Morricone was the great Italian composer Everything he did revolved around music pretty much. So he actually played the trumpet too, by the way. Oh, cool. I just found that out. And he's got, he had about, um, oh, 400 scores for cinema and TV. Wow. And also some standalone classical works too. So about roughly 500 compositions, which is a hell of a lot. He was born in 1928 and died on the 6th of July. And the airwaves have been full of his rich music since. And I think it's uh, certainly one of those things talking about immortality. Mm. His, the sounds of his compositions will echo on through eternity. Absolutely. So, yeah, he was a trumpeteer in a jazz band in the 40s and then went on to become a, a studio arranger for RCA Victor and then started um, doing some ghostwriting for film and theatre. So he did all of that and, and ended up doing film and TV scores. Now, I'm not going to get go into this too much because there have been many deep dives and I'm sure there will be many more. So he was composing for radio, pop artists, television and, and film, and this is, would have been about in the 1950s that he started in on the, uh, the screen sort of sounds. And... I think the first track we're going to play here comes from a particular favourite film of mine, The Battle of Algiers. Mm. And this was in 1965. It was directed by Gillo Pontecorvo, and it told of that dreadful time when the uh, the French were involved in their colonial adventures, you could call them that. Now, I found this particular track on... Ennio Morricone's film music CD, which is 1966 to 87. So they've actually got a pretty good compilation in there for this particular track, The Battle of Algiers. Now, we just let it uh, play and you can 
decide for yourself if this reflects his musical style in general. This is J.G. Hertzler, General Martok from Deep Space Nine, and this is Zero G on 3 Triple R FM. Today is a good day to listen. The Battle of Algiers, Ennio Morricone, one of his earlier compositions. It's got some riffs in it that I feel are characteristic of Morricone Mm. with some later film scores like The Untouchables. And so we'll go from that very martial film to one that Megan's picked out for us. Ah, yes. (laughs) Shall I give you – I'll give you my rundown. So, all right, Uh, I thought what might be fun is – Morricone is obviously a big influence on a lot of people and uh, I think one interesting connection that he has is that he has a big following in the metal crowd because Metallica, the band, um, for their opening concerts, they their intro tape, as it's called, is Ecstasy of Gold, which is also from the film uh, The Good, The Bad and The Ugly, which came out in 1966. So, what happened was um, since sort of the 80s, Metallica mostly opened their concerts with this track and then they'll walk on stage. And it's sort of because it's their little intro song. Originally they were going to have the sound of a heartbeat that gets quicker and quicker, which is pretty lame. Um, but then uh, the record label they were with at the time, which was a small record label called Megaforce Records, so the founder of that label, John Zazula, he sort of suggested, oh, no, maybe try this, the Ecstasy of Gold track. It was going to be that or the trio, which is also from Good, the Bad and the Ugly, that he was going to suggest. And he said, no, no, do Ecstasy of Gold. And then kind of since that time, it has just become wildly popular and apparently a lot of people who might not have heard of Morricone's work have kind of got turned on to him as a result of this Metallica connection. And Metallica contributed to an album, We All Love Ennio Morricone. It was like a tribute album and they played a bit of a metalized version of the song. I couldn't get that track, but I thought what we might play is it's from their S&M album. So it's a live album that Metallica did in conjunction with the San Francisco Symphony and it was released in 1999. So it's a live version and it was just, they did a bit of a reimagining of some tracks and things with the symphony. And this was just kind of a little bit of an appreciation piece. So this is Ecstasy of Gold through the lens of its role in Metallica's uh, music. This is Neil Gaiman. It's well past 2000 AD, but Tharg still listens to Zero G. What an appreciative audience. (laughs) They loved that. So, yes, that was Ecstasy of Gold, and that is from the album that Metallica did with the San Francisco Symphony, that little intro tape, also known as a track from Morricone's score of The Good, The Bad and The Ugly. One of the many collaborations that he did in his career with Sergio Leone, Mm. uh, the the Colander Cowboys. (laughs) I'm just seeking a different take on the Spaghetti Western, okay? (laughs) All right, so here we are on Zero G, and we are doing a musical tribute to Ennio Morricone. So we're trying not to be too similar to the many other justly deserved tributes that have been aired so far. Mm -hmm. And after The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly in 1966, was it? Yes, 1966. 
I'd like to play a track from H2S, as in hydrogen sulfide. Mm -hmm. And when you're Googling this film, you have to wade through all of the OH and S (laughs) (laughs) training films to do with that. But anyway, H2S was a surreal science fiction fantasy film. Mm -hmm. It's basically a bunch of revolting students at a university in the future. The writer and director was Roberto Faenza. Uh, It is an Italian film, and it starred Lionel Stander, who's the square-jawed, voice-like-a-mouthful-of-gravel character actor from the Bronx, and he's best remembered for playing Max on Heart to Heart with Robert Wagner and Stephanie Powers on telly. And he was often playing... um, Hitmen, mm. goons, minions, torpedoes, and gangsters. <laughs> the muscle. And here we go with Ennio Morricone's score for H2S. Zero G is fun, as you were. Robert Faenza was the writer and director of H2S, as in hydrogen sulfide, mm-hmm. a science fiction fantasy film from 1969 with Morricone's rather Christmassy score there. <laughs> it was. It was very jaunty, and there were some notes in there that were a little John Williamsy. I don't know. It was. It's a bit different. I kind of I dug that. Mm. And actually, you would have in the 60s. Yeah, man, you just really did that. And that's Groovy. that's one. Of, that's one of those. Um, Space Age uh, sci-fi films. Mm. Uh, it was a, a transcontinental trend. There were lots of ones out of swinging sixties London and ones over in the United States. A lot of surreal experimental science fiction films, and that was an Italian one. Nice. So, staying on the theme of of genre, which I think we are allowed to do on Zero G. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's an Italian science fiction film called The Humanoid Ooh. from 1979. Now, it's directed by Aldo Lardo, aka George B. Lewis, which references the name of George Lucas, mm-hmm. whose iconic space opera this film ripped off for its production values. Great. Right, <laughs> right down to its costumes and its spaceships. <gasps> <laughs> the Humanoid starred a Bond villain, which is to say actor Richard Jaws Keel, mm-hmm. and also Bond actress Barbara Buck, The Spy Who Loved Me was her Bond film. And she's Ringo Starr's wife too, by the way. Another Bond girl, Corinne Clary, who was Drax's assistant in Moonraker, mm-hmm. also appears. The story's pretty dismal. It's brother against brother on the planet Metropolis aided by a dodgy doctor and his super soldier serum. Oh, so- <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're not hitting that many original notes with this one, are we? No. But Morricone's notes are always original, and I think his score made this film a lot better than it actually was. <laughs> so we'll go over track here. I'll take a running leap at the title, which is On Uomo Nello Spazio which is probably something to do with space at a guess, and it's from The Humanoid from 1979. Hello, I'm Peter Hamilton, author of the Night Storm Trilogy and the Greg Mandel science fiction novels. When I'm down under, Rob Jan lets me fly the Starship Zero-G on 3 triple RFM. 
Actually, just between you and me, food's not all that good and the cabins are a little on the cramped side, but hey, I cut my teeth on science fiction conventions, so I can't complain. Actually, I want to complain, but Rob won't let me the black-hearted tyrant. What's that you say, Mr. Hamilton? This is Mutiny. Back in your boxer, I'll have you keelhauled without a spacesuit. Hi, Captain. Zero G. It doesn't get any better. It just gets over. The Humanoid, a science fiction <laughs> film. <laughs> yes, Italian style. It's sort of a ripoff of Star Wars in a lot of aspects. But, you know, they were enthusiastic about it at the time. And a lot of those films I find quite watchable on the yeah, nah, maybe scale. Some of them are so bad they're good. If they're Italian science fiction, there's one thing you can always be guaranteed. They have great costumes. Ah, yes, totally. (laughs) Very stylish spacesuits quite often. All right, so that was from The Humanoid in the, uh, oh, way back in 1979. I was going to play a track from Two Mules for Sister Sarah, but I think I'll have to skip over that one today because we will run out of time. Never fear, in the usual Zero-G tradition, we, we promise to play more tracks along the way, and sometimes we actually do that. <laughs> yeah, we've made that promise a couple weeks in a row, but just keeping them up our sleeve for when we feel like dropping those tracks, don't you worry. Mm. So let's go to another science fiction one. Now, There's an entire catalogue of Ennio Morricone scores for science fiction and most especially horror movies. Mm. Uh, A lot of Italian giallo movies, D'Argento movies, uh, a huge steaming bloody pile of those. A visceral pile. (laughs) Yes, but they don't get any more visceral than... The Thing, which is John Carpenter's 1982 movie. Now, that wasn't the uh, the first adaptation of science fiction writer John W. Campbell Jr.'s original story, which he wrote under the pen name of Don A. Stewart, Who Goes There? If you've never read that original story, it is very well worth reading. Mm -hmm. And it was a tale of paranoia and monstrosity as an alien invader took over people's bodies at one of the poles of the planet. Fun. And it was first made as a movie uh, by Howard Hawks. Now, that's actually a a slightly different take on the idea, more in the uh, the 50s mode. But the uh, 1951, The Thing, directed by John Carpenter, is more faithful to Campbell's original story, which meant that there was a lot of body horror. Ooh! Morricone's score didn't make it intact to the film, but but that, that original score has been released now. There are some riffs still in Carpenter's score, which he ended up uh, doing the actual... Um, music for very, very characteristic John Carpenter music. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. one of the things about Morricone that is less noticeable now Mm -hmm. in the 21st century is that a lot of his music sounded very technologically sophisticated, Mm -hmm. very experimental Mm -hmm. in parts, as well as having the usual characteristics of romantic through lines and more of the traditional aspects of a movie soundtrack, but he was also working with a lot of unusual instruments and also making normal instruments sounding unusual too. 
Yeah. And the main title theme for John Carpenter's The Thing includes riffs from Morricone. Some of them are a little bit changed on the album that you can get, which is called The Thing, which has got more of uh, Morricone's music on it. But we'll go with this incredibly bleak track, just what we need in a pandemic, (laughs) called Humanity. Hi there, I'm Jen Saska. And I'm Sylvia Saska. And And we're we're the Twisted Twins. And you're listening to Zero G on 3 Triple RFM. Did you love it? That's a good for you too. Heck yeah. Ennio Morricone's distinctive. Ooh. Humanity, part of the abysmal, (laughs) arcane horror that was that movie from John Carpenter back in 82. One of my favourite science fiction horror movies of all time. Remade, kind of, later on too. (laughs) It was, yes. That was a great track. Very moody. Yeah. Most of the second half of that track where, as Megan put it before while we were listening to it, where it takes off, that's not actually in the film. Disappointing. (laughs) All right. Well, we're coming to a close of our tribute to Ennio Morricone, who is no longer with us in the flesh, but whose music will be with us for eternity, I am sure. Mm. In fact, (laughs) <laughs> I, I do hope that there are some aliens listening to the broadcast today far out there in space, although perhaps not too many xenomorphs <laughs> like the film. All I can say is watch the skies, people. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, we shall go out today. I've got a wide choice of Morricone music here that we could go with. And we will pick up later on, as I'm sure we will have more tributes to Morricone's work. I mean, we haven't touched upon most of his horror or uh, uh, his work with Tarantino. Mm. I think we can probably um, drip feed some of these great tracks over the coming weeks. I'd personally really love to rehear some of the stuff he did for Tarantino. Mm, Yes, including the original soundtrack for The Hateful Eight, where they actually collaborated full on and not just uh, Mr. Tarantino using uh, Morricone's work as a pastiche to put into his enormously complicated worlds. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so we will go out today with a track by... Morricone from the Untouchables, and that's that's another area he's worked with so many different directors that mm-hmm. uh, they tend to call it the association of Morricone and Quentin Tarantino or Sergio Leone or Brian De Palma in the case of The Untouchables. It's a great movie, uh, Kevin Costner. It's all based, set in the 1930s in the gangster era as they're try, as the uh, the G-men, the government men, are trying to take down Al Capone. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, when I watched The Untouchables, it almost felt like a Scorsese movie. It, it has that element, but it's just, it's a bit more... Hollywood in some ways, even though De Palma's pretty dark, but just some of the elements were just a little bit more melodrama that I reckon you'd see in something like um, a Scorsese. But it's a 
it's a very decent classic film for sure. And I, some of those slow-mo, some of the famous sequences, um, yeah, definitely very memorable. And the music that goes with it just complements it perfectly. Of course, they're riffing off the old Untouchables TV series from the 50s and 60s. That was the uh, the Robert Stack one where he's playing the role of Elliot Ness. Costner's playing Elliot Ness in this movie. Sean Connery's playing a streetwise policeman who uh, comes to a sticky end. Robert De Niro's playing Al Capone. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just a great film. And the music itself was was suitably impressive too for this one, The Untouchables. And that's about it for Zero G for today. And this is the main title for The Untouchables, The Strength of the Righteous. Farewell to Maestro Ennio Morricone. We will cherish your music forever. Joe Brunatic coming up next with Astral Glamour. And thank you to Kayla Larson, our podcaster, as well as everybody else who helps bring Zero G to you during the ongoing sitch. Thank you, Megan. Thank you, Rob. G'day, this is Rob Jan. Thanks for listening to the podcast at Triple R's Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website.